Good morning, Doxa Church. Today's scripture reading will be coming from Daniel 5, verses 1 through 12. You can read along on the screen behind me. King Belteshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belteshazzar, or Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank with them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lord, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you, as always, as we continue to worship the Lord together. My name is David Duran, and I am the church planting resident here at Doxa Church. In about a year now, Lord willing, my wife and my two daughters and I are going to move to the Plymouth area of Massachusetts and plant a church. And if you've uh, been around Doxa at all throughout this past year or so, you have heard me say that dozens of times. But I want to continue to keep that at the forefront of your mind. And one of the reasons for this is that we desperately need your prayers. There is zero chance for success in church planting if the entire thing is not covered in prayer. If there's not an army of people praying for this, then it's just not going to happen. 
So I like to mention that at the beginning almost every time that I preach because um, our family, we need your prayers. Please pray for, for Plymouth. Pray for pastors and churches who are already laboring for the kingdom of God in this area. Again, all of our efforts, they're meaningless. They are a complete waste of time if they aren't covered in prayer. So please, as often as we come to mind, please pray for us. Recently, we've actually been praying that some people from this body of believers would join us in making the move to New England to make disciples and plant a church. That's what happens when disciples are made. Churches are planted. So if you have, if you have any questions about where the Lord is leading me and my wife in this, or, or if you are interested in being part of this in any way, please come and talk to me. Talk to us. I know many of you, you're already supporting us uh, through your prayers and, and financially, and we are so grateful for you. Um, from, the, from the collective heart of, of my family, I just want to say thank you. The Lord is using you, and he's going to continue to use your faithfulness for his glory. Doxa Church as a whole has a mission to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. And one of the main ways, friends, that this is accomplished is through the planting of healthy churches. So I say all that to say, we feel so honored. We feel uh, extremely blessed to be able to spend this season here at Doxa as we prepare for what, Lord willing, will be a lifetime of ministry. Well, why don't we pray together now, and then we're gonna look deeply at our text this morning. So would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is for us to gather together and worship. What a joy it is for us to sing your praises, to study your word, to pray together. God, we thank you for the gift that is your church. We thank you that in and through Christ, we belong to your family. God, who are we that you are mindful of us? Who are we that you should take care of us and comfort us, provide for us? Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy that you freely give to us. Thank you that Christ, he paid our penalty and he secured our eternal destiny when he shed his blood on the cross. As your word tells us, those who have been justified have also been glorified. We praise you for we know that you will complete the good work that you began in each of us who, has who have received you, your son, as Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed our church in a way that allows us to be a blessing to other churches. Thank you for the privilege that we have had to support other church plants in the southeast and, and around the world. God, right now we pray for, for J-Will and, and City of Refuge Church in Columbia. Thank you that their, their first service went well last week. Father, please use this church for your glory. May, may many souls come to know you and may Christians be built up in the faith through the ministry of this church. God, we pray for, for Tim Briggs, the pastor at Steadfast Church, and we pray for, for Steadfast Church as a whole in Charlotte. Thank you for the wonderful partnership that's developed between our churches. 
And Lord, as Steadfast gets ready to celebrate their one-year anniversary, we pray that you would allow this church to minister for many more years in the Charlotte area. God, we pray for, for Ronnie and Yiping Kolti and, and for their church in Taiwan, Lord. Um, strengthen the believers there so that they can shine bright for your kingdom. Lift them up, Father. God, now we pray for, for our church. We pray for Doxa Church. We pray that we would be a people whose hopes and dreams and contentment is found in you. We want to be a people who carry the aroma of Christ everywhere that we go. Lord, help us to reflect that you are our supreme treasure. Father, grow our trust in you. Stretch our faith. Blow us away with what you're capable of. God, we humbly acknowledge that we are completely dependent on you. God, I ask that you would help me this morning as I preach. I have absolutely nothing valuable to say on my own. My words have no power, but yours do. Your word has all the power. So Father, I pray that I would shrink back and that you and your glory would be on display. God, we ask that you would block out the many distractions that compete for our attention. God, give us a clear focus on you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have for us today. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may or may not recognize the name George Santayana, but I bet there's a good chance that you recognize this well-known statement that is attributed to him. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Winston Churchill, he, he paraphrased that statement in one of his speeches when he said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Now, regardless of if you consider yourself a history buff or not, it's important that we recognize and learn from history. And I'm, I'm not just talking about grand historical periods from the past or, or specific events. We also have to learn from the history of last month or last week or even yesterday. Both as a society and as individuals, we have to be informed about our past so that we can avoid destructive patterns and behavior in our present. As we're going to see in our text this morning, to be oblivious to history and to be ignorant to things that are happening around us can have deadly results. And not just deadly in terms of the here and now, but deadly in terms of our eternal destiny. If you're here with us last week, you heard an excellent sermon from one of our elders, Justin Kramer, focusing on the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that God humbled this king in a profound way. And only after Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the greatness and the majesty of God was his sanity return to him. You really go back and read Daniel 4 if you're unfamiliar with that story. Listen to Justin's sermon. I promise you that you will be helped by it. It's such a powerful story, really highlighting the power of God and the need for humility among people. Well, this morning we're picking up right where we left off in chapter 5, and we're going to work through this entire chapter together. And what I want to do first is I want to focus on the 12 verses that were read for us 
And then we're going to look at the second half of this chapter together. And really, one of the things that we're going to do, we're just going to sit in the details and think through this story. And then at the end, I'll have some specific points of application for you. But I really think, I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to apply things to your heart just as we read through and work through this story together. Well, you should know that a lot has happened between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. At this point, it's been roughly 70 years since Daniel and the people of Judah have been led into exile. King Nebuchadnezzar, who played such a a prominent role in the first four chapters of Daniel, he is now completely out of the picture. Our story today leaps forward from the time of Nebuchadnezzar all the way to the end of the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonian ruler, who now becomes important, although his appearance will be very brief, as we'll see, is King Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar, he's probably the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 2, you might have noticed that he's referred to as Nebuchadnezzar's son, but this word here, it can also indicate a a predecessor, and that's probably what's going on here. Um, there, There are multiple places in the Old Testament where the terms father and son are used figuratively, and surely this here is an example of that. Well, our text begins with Belshazzar throwing an elaborate feast. Let's look again here at verse 1. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Don't miss the sheer size of the party that Belshazzar is throwing here. A thousand lords is a lot of people. That's that's not including all the other people who were there. I was at a, a birthday party yesterday and there was about... 15, four, and five-year-olds running around, and that felt like a thousand people, although it wasn't, it wasn't even close to that actual number. But a thousand people, thousand lords, plus all the other people, uh, that's, that's a lot of folks partying it up in the presence of the king. Now, what you may not know, uh, that's what, what's going on here, is the Persian army is knocking on the door of Babylon. And they aren't coming over with party gifts. They aren't coming over to see if they can join in the fun. They're coming to conquer the Babylonians. The king is literally throwing a party while the Persian army is preparing to annihilate them. Well, right in the middle of the party, Belshazzar decides that he's going to declare war. But instead of declaring war on the Persians, he declares war on Almighty God. Look at verses 2 to 4 with me. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In his alcohol-influenced mind, this was a gesture of triumph over the one true God. The vessels that had been used in the worship of the one true God in the temple in Jerusalem are now being used to praise the false gods of idols. 
Belshazzar, as we're going to see, he is now in great danger because he has deliberately defied the Lord by profaning what had been dedicated specifically to him for worship. While, while Belshazzar should have been protecting his own people and fulfilling his responsibility as a ruler, he's taking refuge in wine, drowning his fears and defying the living God. Much like Nebuchadnezzar before him, the pride of Belshazzar will prove to be his downfall. And looking at the first couple of verses here, it's hard not to see Proverbs 18.12 playing out right before our eyes. This is the proverb that says, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Well, immediately after the blasphemy of Belshazzar, God responds. He responds immediately. Friends, God will not be mocked. He will not tolerate it. Paul reminds us of this in Galatians 6, 7 to 8, when he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God doesn't always respond immediately to the defaming, to the mocking of his name, but rest assured he will respond. And in Belshazzar's, Belshazzar's case, the response is swift. And God responds here by sending the king a warning. And while the response, you might have noticed, is in the form of a human hand, this is from the very hand of God. God writes something on the wall, and this greatly alarms the king. He has no idea what it means. He doesn't understand what's being communicated here, but he knows that something supernatural is happening. God here, he's getting the king's attention. One thing that we see in this story and in previous stories throughout in, in the book of Daniel is that God knows how to get people's attention. It may not come uh, in the form of writing on a wall. He may not show up in a burning bush. He may not come to us in a dream. But God often uses our circumstances. He uses our trials to teach us something. I was an athlete when I was in college, and I believe that God used three devastating injuries, all to my left shoulder, to get my attention and to show me that football was an idol in my life. God humbled me by taking away one of the things that produced the greatest amount of pride within me. And looking back on this, I'm so grateful for the Lord's kindness to me. And this wasn't always the case as I would go through physical therapy again and again and again but I've come to see these injuries as a blessing. God got my attention, and by God's grace, I listened to him. When our story here, God, in a dramatic way, is getting the attention of Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is absolutely terrified. Look at verse six. It says, then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The literal Aramaic here says that the knots of his joints were loosened. Belshazzar was so afraid that he lost control of his bodily functions. And in thinking that money and power can buy the interpretation of this strange writing, purple clothing, a chain of gold, political power and influence 
are offered to whoever can give the proper interpretation. Well, as we've seen in the book of Daniel before, when somebody has a dream or a vision or something supernatural happens to them, who do they call? They call Daniel. In this case, Belshazzar, he had completely forgotten about Daniel. The woman who is referred to here as the queen, she has to remind him that there's a man, as she puts it, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods? Daniel, the man who has this otherworldly type of vibe to him, is the one who's brought in to interpret the dream. In fact, Daniel, he continues to stand out in this book, and he continues to stand out to the Babylonians because he does, in fact, belong to another world. He's not just from a foreign people in the view of Belshazzar and the queen. Daniel's citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Bible isn't clear as to what Daniel has been doing all this time. Maybe he was the one who was leading Babylon while Nebuchadnezzar went through his period of insanity. Maybe Daniel has continued to work in politics in Babylon, or perhaps he's just living a quiet and mundane life somewhere in Babylon. Regardless of what's been going on, Daniel is now back in the interpretation hot seat, if you will. What I want us to do is let's read the rest of chapter 5 together. Let's see the response of Daniel, and ultimately, let's see the response of God. If you have your Bible in front of you, please follow along with me as I read. And we're going to start in verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give, the, give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can, read the writing and make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. We saw that last week. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. 
And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of this matter. Many, God has numbered your days, numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Paris, your, king, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Hear this part. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now there's a lot for us to potentially look at here, but I want to point out a couple things quickly, just at, at lightning speed. First, notice the disrespect that Belshazzar has for Daniel. Remember, Daniel has been around for some time. He's not the new kid on the block. Daniel was promoted to a significant position in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. But here, Belshazzar, in an insulting tone, says, you are one of those exiles of Judah. The disrespect of the king here, it further shows his ignorance and his inability to remember and learn from the past. Next, notice that the interpretation that Belshazzar seeks, this, this word from the Lord, it cannot be bought for a price. Although it appears that Daniel did receive the gifts, his initial refusal, it shows that Daniel the prophet was not after money. He was not after power. Instead, he was simply concerned with his faithfulness to the living God. We see this play out over and over again in the book of Daniel. Finally, notice how Daniel specifically mentions to Belshazzar that his ignorance of past events has contributed to his impending demise. After talking about Nebuchadnezzar and his pride and his arrogance, Daniel says, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. Church, Belshazzar of all people, he should have bowed his knee to God a long time ago. He had seen all the evidence. He had no doubt heard of the power and the greatness of Almighty God, but he refused to humble himself. He remained filled with pride. Belshazzar's heart will remain a factory of rebellion all the way until the very end. We see that in the end, his life would be taken that very night by a conquering empire. Friends, one of the challenges for us, in, at least it's a challenge for me, in looking at a whole chapter of scripture is trying to figure out where do we apply, where do we go deeper, what exactly do we need to talk about here? There are so many significant things with deep points of application that come from this passage. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to point out a couple of things for you, some things that I really want you to see in this story. But I promise you, you'll probably notice as, as I'm talking, there are going to be things that I don't mention here. Maybe over lunch today with family or with friends, you can talk about some additional ways that this passage 
truly does apply to our lives. There's just, there's so many relevant things for us to think about here. But uh, I just have a couple things that I want to point out to you. First, earthly wealth and power are fleeting. Earthly wealth and power are fleeting. We see this with Belshazzar here in the story and also with Nebuchadnezzar earlier in the book of Daniel. These men, they are among the most powerful men in the world. Nebuchadnezzar, without question, was the most wealthy and powerful man in the world. And and Belshazzar was certainly a man with immense power and wealth. And just like that, in the span of a night, Belshazzar was brought to nothing. How easy it can become for us to spend our lives pursuing things, money, power, wealth, that ultimately mean nothing in the end. I'm not saying, to be clear, I'm not saying that money and influence or power are in themselves evil. They're absolutely not. God does give wealth and influence and and political power to people who love him, and we should be grateful that he does this. Daniel himself had been placed in a position of power. But we have to recognize that all these things will ultimately come to an end. Wealth and power, it's going to come to an end. And I would say that we all need to check our hearts if our motivation in things is money and power. There's a good chance that that these kind of things have become idols for us if this is where we draw our motivation from. If you have your Bible open still, turn real quick to uh, Luke chapter 12. I just want to read it real fast. Belshazzar's story, it has a a close parallel with that of the rich fool in in the parable that Jesus tells. So real quick, open to Luke 12. We're going to look at verses 16 to 20. I'm just going to read it. I want you to see the parallel between Belshazzar and this rich fool. Jesus is driving home one of the key points from our story here. Give you just a second to get there, then I'm going to read it. Here's what it says. And he told them a parable, this is Jesus, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will, and I will say, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Friends, how easy it is for us to waste our lives chasing after things that ultimately will mean nothing in the end. About five years ago or so, my wife, she made me this little plaque and on it, she painted the refrain of a, of a poem by the missionary C.T. Studd. Now, before Studd was a missionary, he was a, a well-known cricket player for England in the late 1800s. He came from a wealthy family. He was a successful athlete. By all accounts, he had a great life. But when Studd became a Christian, God called him to the mission field where he would serve in China in India and in Africa. Well, anyway, Stud, he wrote this poem, and the refrain goes like this. 
And the whole poem is worth reading, but the refrain is this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I love looking at that little plaque that I have reminding me that this world is fleeting. Power and wealth and influence are short-lived and they can end in a moment. Only the life that is lived for Christ, the life that lived to make much of him, to glorify him, that's a life that's worth living. That's a life that will last. Second, here in our story, I think that we see this. Attempts to mask reality are hopeless. Attempts to mask reality are hopeless. Throughout the story here in Daniel 5, we see the king, he is totally oblivious to everything that's going on around him. The writing is literally on the wall for him. And he refuses to submit. He refuses to humble himself and recognize the obvious. There is a God in heaven and it is not him. There is a God who sets up kingdoms and appoints rulers. There's a God who humbles the most powerful people in the world. But friends, he also shows mercy and unfailing love to all who humble themselves before him. You may be here with us this morning and you have never acknowledged, you have never humbled yourself before Almighty God. In a way, you're you're kind of like Belshazzar. You've heard all about Jesus. You've heard that he was truly God and truly man, how he died on the cross and rose again, how everyone who receives him as Lord of their life can be saved from the punishment that they deserve because of their rebellion against God. You may have heard that story before. Perhaps many, many times you've heard that. But like Belshazzar, you failed to learn. You failed to receive all that you've heard. If that's you today, my prayer is that you would come to trust in Christ as your Savior today. Like Belshazzar or the rich fool from Jesus' parable, you may not have any time to waste. Friend, you cannot mask the hopelessness of your eternity apart from Jesus. You need him. We, all of us, we need him. We stand guilty before a holy and righteous God apart from him. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, I pray, we've been praying that you would receive him as your Lord today. For those of us who are Christians, how easy is it for us to become just like Belshazzar? We find our meaning and our satisfaction in pride and in all different kinds of idols. We may not have them set up on our mantle in our living room, but they reign supreme in our hearts. And when we do this, we're dishonoring the name of God. Christian brother or sister, if God is bringing conviction to your heart that your pride and the things of this world are of greater significance to you than he is, then I urge you to repent. Pray, ask God to turn your affections and your desires to him. In fact, this is something that we all should be practicing every single day. We know how fickle our hearts are. We know how quickly idols and pride begin to creep up in our lives. 
Martin Luther famously said, the whole of the Christian life should be repentance. And I think it's safe to say that all of us here, we need to ask God each and every day, turn our hearts to you, Lord. Our hearts are prone to wander. Turn us to you. That must be a continual prayer of all of us. Finally, I think we see from this story that we must simply stand in awe of the Lord. Stand in awe of the Lord. There's so much happening in this chapter that should just cause us to be astonished at the power of God. As if a, a hand writing on a wall isn't enough, we see that God is the one who sets up and brings down kingdoms. No king, ruler, president, prime minister has authority unless God is the one who props them up. And God has, he has many reasons, often hidden reasons for why he does this. And it, it oftentimes isn't clear to us why he is doing the things that he does. But God is the one who does it. Make no mistake about that. God is the one that gives Daniel the supernatural ability to interpret the writing on the wall. And in our story at the end, we see God bringing judgment on the Babylonian empire, just like he said he would in Jeremiah chapter 50. All of Jeremiah 50 is about this, but just listen real quick to verses two and three. It's just so amazing. It says, declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, conceal it not and say, Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. For out of the north a nation has come against her, which shall make her land a desolation. And none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. Friends, God did exactly what he said he would do. He brought judgment on the nation that had dishonored his name. And in doing this, he ultimately is preparing to deliver his people from exile. We should come to the end of Daniel 5 with mouth, mouths open, hands on our heads, like just in awe of who God is. And then in, in the fact that God continues to extend his merciful and kind hand towards his people, this should stun us. The fact that in and through Christ, we can belong to the family of God, that should continue to amaze us. Friends, how good, how faithful, how kind and merciful is our God towards sinners like you and me. Our story today, it began with King Belshazzar drinking wine and holding a feast for all his friends in an attempt to hide from reality. There's another feast that Jesus talks about in Matthew 22. This is the, the parable of the wedding feast. In this parable, a good king, he invites a bunch of people to, to this feast. And this is the kind of party that you want to be at. You want to be there. But many of the people, they, they pay no attention or they completely ignore the invitation. And as the parable makes clear, these people are ignoring the invitation to take part in the kingdom of God. So we think about those those two feasts, my question for you is, which feast will you be a part of? Which feast will you attend? The feast hosted by Belshazzar, which was nothing but a vain attempt to hide his pain, 
to prop himself up, to promote his pride? Will you attend the banquet of the kingdom of God? It's only through Jesus that we're able to enter. Brothers and sisters, one of the main ways that we are reminded of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the reality of his future, his future reign forever and ever, one of the ways we're reminded of these things is when we take communion together. When we take this meal, we're being spiritually nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. And although Jesus, he's not here with us in flesh this morning, make no mistake, he is here with us in spirit. When we take communion, our spiritual bodies are nourished and we're reminded, this is, this is going to happen, friends, we're reminded of the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord. Jesus is going to return. And we remember, that's one of the things we remember when we take communion. Well, communion is going to be served in four areas throughout our sanctuary here. Um, regardless of if you're a member of Doxa Church or not, if you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to go and receive communion as you feel led. Well, I'm going to pray for us, and then the, the worship team is going to continue to lead us. We'll receive communion and we'll continue worshiping the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge how prideful we can be. How in our vanity we attempt to mask reality sometimes. We find our satisfaction, our joy in idols, in accomplishments, in, in vain pursuits. Father, I thank you for the reminder today that all these things are fleeting, that all of it will come to an end. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who live that refrain from C.T. Studd, only what's done for Christ will last. Father, help us to burn with a passion for your glory. And we thank you that in and through Jesus, we can belong to your kingdom. God, I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know your son as Lord, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today. Help them to see their desperate need for you. God, I pray that through your word, People have been built up in the faith today. They've been encouraged as they, as they go about their week. God, continue to remind us of your greatness, of your glory. Help us to stand in awe of you every day. Help us not to be numb to the, to glo the glories of you, Father. And we pray that you would nourish us in communion now. May our praise and our worship be acceptable to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.